Like, usually the audience boos, okay, that's fine. You just boo them back. Yeah. But when it's the establishment <laughs> booing you by turning the lights off. Yeah. And to this day, I still believe I was not bombing. Yeah. They just weren't laughing. Welcome back, all, to season two of Hot Breath. Oh, how I missed you. Thank you all for the feedback and support you have provided over the past few months. We have officially eclipsed over 5,000 listens and a whopping 56 iTunes reviews. Yeah. So please keep that completely proportional ratio going as we gear up here for season two. And your support has earned Hot Breath its first sponsor. This season premiere episode is brought to you by Funny Monkey at Java Monkey. Devolve with Joel Byers and Atlanta's top comics at Java Monkey Indicator every Wednesday at 8.30. Oh yeah, we're corporate now, people. Moving along, I thought what better way to kick off the new season than with an interview with Atlanta's own... Joel Byers. I sat down with fellow Atlanta comedian Chris Gray at the Atlanta StoryCorps booth for a one-on-one -on -one interview that tells my story and provides a personal context to the mission of this podcast. So, to all my hot brethren and sisterin, I welcome you back with an insightfully hot inhale and Joel Byers. Hi, I'm Chris Gray. I'm 43, and it is October 3rd, 2015, and we're at the Atlanta StoryCorps booth uh, with my friend Joel Byers. I am Joel Byers. I am 27 years old. It is October 3rd, 2015. I'm at the Atlanta History Center StoryCorps, and I'm with my friend and fellow performer, Chris Gray. All right. Um, okay, we spoke before already when we were talking about podcasts you were doing my radio show and uh one of the things i really was interested in was your beginning as a comedian mm -hmm. um and you started in college your last you said your last few years in college or your last year last Th semester the last semester yeah but i, I want to find out about the decision to move to atlanta like once you started how did you pick atlanta as your place to come next as opposed to you know if you already knew you wanted to be a comedian mm -hmm. going to new york going to L.A., Chicago, another city. Yeah, I picked Atlanta mainly because I'm from here. Okay. So I was coming back home, you know, to cover the whole loan situation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I had a place to live, a.k.a. mom's place. But um, I picked Atlanta just basically because I wanted to move back home and kind of regroup after college because you graduate college and you're like, okay, Cool. Well, I guess that vacation's over yeah. <laughs> uh, for your vacation away from home before you move back in. Um, so I pretty much, to reiterate myself for a third time, <laughs> Mr. Gray, uh, I picked Atlanta because that's where I was from. And I wasn't really quite aware of how good the scene was uh, moving back down here. I just came back down here and got on Facebook and there's an Atlanta comedy group on there that lists all the shows we have going on, which have... I mean, grown exponentially since I started oh, yeah. you know, five and a half years ago. 
and I couldn't be happier to start my career here. So when you came, it was 2010, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So you, you were coming to Atlanta, kind of, you know, you were from here, you were going to, I guess, was there a plan of, all right, I'm going to go home to Atlanta, hit some open mics, practice, get better. Um, but you said, you said you didn't know anything about the scene here. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, it was all just get on stage yeah. wherever, however, with whoever in the audience. So when did you first discover, you know, like, wow, Atlanta really has a lot going on stand-up-wise? Was it once you got out and started doing shows and seeing some of the other comedians? Or was there a moment where you did, where it clicked and you were just like, wow, this is a lot happening here? I could tell by the volume of shows that mm-hmm. there, was, there was something positive happening here. And then I've performed in like a Chicago and I mean LA and New York. I've performed in all the others throughout my career so far. And every time I come back from performing one of those cities, I'm like, man, Atlanta really has something unique and special going on. Because mm-hmm. it's not only the volume of stage time, but it's the quality of stage time. Yeah. You know, there, there's comedians here, but there's also comedy fans. People that come out and support the shows that are on, you know, Wednesday nights at Java Monkey and Decatur, you yeah. know, um, which I host, um, 8.30 <laughs> p.m. Uh, <laughs> but that's really when it clicked for me when I performed outside of the city and was like, oh, wow, this isn't happening anywhere else. Yeah. And I think we, we touched on that last time we talked about when you go out on the road, uh, some of the other cities, and you see the level of, their, of, of the performers there. You know, like, not so much New York. Chicago, the big cities, but mm-hmm. some of the smaller ones, D.C., Nashville, um, you know, Albuquerque, you know, any of these, <laughs> these spots. And yeah. there's comedians, but I felt when I went to some of those cities and you see their best, their best performers, and I was always like, wow, we've got way better <laughs> performers, you know, which yeah. actually, and then uh, a few times when I've been up to New York, and I've seen some some performers up there, and they've got credits. You know, they're like, "Oh, this person writes on this show. Right. They're on this." And then I watch their set, and I'm like, <laughs> "I have seen way better comedians back home in Atlanta." You know, and it, it kind of encourages you. You know, yeah. we're like, we're like, if this is if these people are getting you know writing gigs and TV spots, you know, and I feel I'm just as good, if not better yeah. and it's not really like an ego it's just like i i just feel my performance is better or on that level it, it encourages you you know you're like oh wow i we're really doing something really good developing here in the city yeah that we can really stay on par with these you know talent in other other towns and a lot of people from other towns are moving to atlanta like there's a lot of people from dc and nashville like you said and people coming from huntsville and whatnot yeah I think we've had a few people move actually from Chicago down to Atlanta as well. Yeah, and a lot of actors too, uh, mm-hmm. coming from LA, moving to Atlanta because this is where the work is. There's a yeah. lot of work here, and also cost of living is cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, way cheaper than LA and New York. Um, but it, there's just more opportunity. You know, where you it's a it's a smaller pond. You know, LA and New York. You know, big pond, you're a small fish. Here, you can be a small, a small fish in a smaller pond. You know, just the, the, the statistics, opportunities are there. Yeah, but, I mean, the small pond of Atlanta hosts the second most productions in the country behind yeah. L.A. now. Yeah. Just past New York, you know. I mean, we, as far as music goes, you know, we've had multiple Grammy Award winning artists and not just, you know, R&B, but also, like, hip-hop side as well. I know... Trap music, a lot of people around the country yeah. heard of now. I mean, Atlanta's on the map in so many different areas of entertainment. Mm-hmm. So I feel like 
Atlanta's comedy scene should be up and respected just as much. You know, mm-hmm. people move to Atlanta for music. You're like, oh, this is where this is where hip hop is. You yeah. Know? So same thing should be happening with comedy. One of the things I'm always interested in when I'm talking to another comedian is uh, kind of the comedian origin story. You know what I mean? It's almost, you know, if you think of like all the Marvel superhero movies. I was just thinking superheroes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Spider-Man, he's bitten by a radioactive spider. Mm-hmm. You know, Batman, you know, he's a rich guy who, you know, got upset that his parents aren't around anymore. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? but I always like uh, comedian origin stories because there's always that moment when when we decided, oh, this is something I want to do. But sometimes when you go back and you realize there's like a kernel of that that started, you know, an, an experience like from childhood or something mm-hmm. that kind of started your sense of humor um, or the way you look at the world. And have you ever, have you ever, I don't know, thought about like what, what is your kind of comedian origin story? Like, like how, how are you, what was your, what was your upbringing like mm-hmm. that kind of, began the sense of humor i think mine would have to be like uh meteor man okay um, <laughs> you're gonna have to tell me about that i know, you know it's a, meteor man i know it's robert townsend <laughs> but I, I can't remember it's been a while since i've seen that movie oh man it's a classic no it's that was a bad reference and i just thought <laughs> i thought you being black you would get that i'm sorry yeah no, um, it's been a while since i've seen that movie <laughs> i had to go back and watch idiocracy this week because it's, it's been a, a while one. since i've seen that one yeah yeah but um i would say just to um a more respectable answer is I'd say my comedy source as a kid would come from entertaining people at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. I would have to say, I mean, I remember my mom told me, I don't remember this, but my first time I ever got a laugh was like in a church play when I was like super young. And she said, I just took the microphone from somebody and started talking and then everybody (laughs) just started laughing. Okay. But most uh, vivid memory I have of making people laugh as a kid would be at like the dinner table because it was awkward, because okay. um, uh, there's a stepdad, and then there's, like, where's the other dad? And, like, there's two girls and then a mom, and I'm just the youngest. I'm a kid. So what my goal and my job as a kid, uh, mm-hmm. which I now get paid to do, is just make people laugh and forget about how awkward everything is. Yeah. So that is what I would do and really honed cut my teeth at the dinner table, um, okay. distracting from maybe how bad the cooking was. And um, <laughs> why is, why is uh, the guy in a robe over there? You know, nobody was wearing a robe. Um, <laughs> that was a terrible way to paint a picture. But, yeah, and it was just, you know, just making fun of anything from the food, playing with food, sometimes throwing food, just um, really just being the center of attention to distract okay. from the awkwardness. So you're the you're the youngest of you have two older sisters? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mom, stepdad. Wow. Mm-hmm. Where where's dad? Dad's around. Okay. D- dad's in Alabama. Uh <laughs> he's down there in Alabama, down there in Center Alabama. He's down there in the Flatwoods. Him and uh Nanette bought a uh plot of land down there. And Nanette <laughs> inherited from her parents down there. A couple acres, I think about ten acres. Uh both work in a crazy hospital. Good things going on. I think it's a genetic thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's where dad is and okay. i mean he was around you know yeah. every other uh christmas um no <laughs> no <laughs> yeah there, i thought you were gonna say like every other weekend no we we did the christmas <laughs> we did the every other weekend thing and all that you know and it's just it's just a weird situation but not something you know divorce rate is around 50 percent right now i mean it's oh, yeah. nothing new if anything i was just fitting in yeah yeah, yeah. 
my oh yeah my my parents are also divorced mm-hmm. it's all it's always it's weird it's it's very telling when i meet someone and they're like you know oh my parents have been together for 30 years <laughs> yeah. and i'm just like that's odd <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like whose parents stay together <laughs> yeah my uh my girlfriend's parents have been married i mean i think over 30 years and um asked them what the uh, secret to marriage was and uh, he said hard liquor hard <laughs> <laughs> thought it was gonna be hard work, hard love, but hard liquor. Hard liquor, so, not beer and wine. No you really liquor. want to get into the distilled spirits. Which they're up from Tennessee, so that hard liquor is moonshine. In okay. fact, which I got to connect for if anybody's interested. All right, that's good stuff. What uh, What do your What do your sisters do? Your older sisters? Oh man, I've got one of my sisters actually lives in Chicago. Okay, she's in school up there right now, but she's lived up there for like ten years. Uh, and then my oldest sister Rebecca actually lives out in Arizona now, celebrating her two-year anniversary married to her husband today oh okay. actually need to remember to call her uh, i'll text her it'll be fine <laughs> i'll send her an emoji what my mom always tried to teach us is to just be selfless and mm-hmm. always helping like we didn't always have money but she always made sure to donate to other people whether it even just be books we had and things like that so mm-hmm. i think i'm doing that with comedy okay um yeah well let's talk about yeah you you cracking wise at the dinner table mm-hmm. can you remember and and actually let's talk about that and uh, we'll go to the moment where you grab the mic do you remember what you said or any of the jokes you said at the dinner table that would make your family laugh any moment that sticks out um i really just remember people laughing um and my mom saying like how do you come up with these things you know and i was like it's by necessity really um <laughs> Uh, I don't remember anything specific I said because, I mean, you know, this was every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing open mics at dinner. Okay. Every day. Like, I don't remember specific things I said. I mean, I just remember I would make fun of the food or something and, like, if something didn't turn out quite right or yeah. whatever. And, like, if the broccoli was a little lighter green or something, oh, where'd you get this, Mom? A yard sale? <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay. Um, so it was really just more things in the immediate area. I wasn't like working on bits about, you know, Donald Trump yeah. or anything. <laughs> you were going into your political No, stuff. I wasn't going into that now, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, what uh what made the dinner awkward? Like what as a kid, what clued you in that like, oh, things are kind of weird. I got to I got to lighten the mood. You know, you can taste it. Okay. Um, <laughs> it wasn't the light green broccoli. It wasn't <laughs> it was not the light green broccoli or the fact that we were eating ramen on uh, Thanksgiving. Um <laughs> no, that's a joke. Don't worry about it. Um, I, it's something you can feel. There's just like a mood, and there was just always this tension, and I was kind of the bridge between the two sides, mm-hmm. you know, which, I mean, at the time, I didn't really realize. I was like, oh, I'm just a kid living life, and this is how it is. And then, like, you grow up and reflect, and you're like, oh, that's why they're divorced now, <laughs> you know. Uh, okay. So it's one of those things. I mean, they waited until... I guess I went to college mm-hmm. to divorce. This is your mom and your stepdad. Yes, my mom and stepdad. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it, there's just an awkwardness. I don't know if I mean you said your parents are divorced. It's just something you can just feel. Yeah. There's a there's a tension yeah. in the air. It's more. I think it's, as a kid, it's one of those things you pick up on. You start picking up on the things that aren't being said more so than the things that are being said. Mm-hmm. Um, which I I kind of lend that to kind of like the comedian's observation that right. you're you know something is a little weird here 
and now I'm, I have to figure out what's weird about it. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> uh-huh. uh, but yeah, you can kind of get, tune in to just what that tension is, yeah. and uh, and it's and it's interesting because a, a lot of you know of our friends who are comedians, there was that you know need to you know entertain or that need to relieve tension, whether it was like amongst family or amongst friends, and really that's what laughter is. It's just like a release of of tension mm-hmm. you know what i mean um but it's interesting that like a lot of us either felt that ve- you know very young uh as a kid like how how old do you think you were at that that uh, time oh man maybe um third or fourth grade okay yeah so i was probably like eight or nine okay yeah and then i mean as i got older you know you would combat that awkwardness just by not being home so, yeah. you know, you just, you know, just don't show up for the gig. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a free gig now. I'll just blow that off. Thanks, though. I've been doing that gig for six years. I'm going to go find, you know, a playground. Okay. So you, so you were eight or nine. How long had your mom been remarried to your stepdad? Like, how, how, how old were you, I guess, when, you're, when your parents got divorced originally? Oh, man. Do you remember that? I don't even remember that. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember how old I was when uh, my dad and mom got divorced mm-hmm. I, mean, I was super young and then maybe uh my mom and stepdad got married when i was in second grade okay maybe and then they made it till i think my sophomore year of college so your your mom stepdad sisters rest of your family were here in atlanta and mm-hmm. your dad was in alabama he he was in rome i'm originally from rome georgia okay he lived well he lived in trine he lived in trine georgia up there he worked for a uh, rock and mountain he uh, lay in brick uh, okay. <laughs> but um, he lived in he lived in a Trion for a while, which is right outside Rome. Oh, it's like the Kennesaw of Rome. It's disgusting. Um, <laughs> but he um, he lived in. We'll say he lived in Rome for the sake of people listening across the country. Okay. <laughs> uh, he lived in Rome, Georgia, and then moved to Alabama. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm talking about my family now. I'm like nervous. I'm like this wasn't really part of the deal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, um, I, gosh, now that you're asking me these questions, I realize my sense of time is terrible. Like, because I don't know when these things happen. I just yeah. know they happened. Right. And, like, I know we were all in Rome, and then my uh, mom and sisters and I moved to Dallas, Georgia. My dad stayed up there. Mm-hmm. And then my mom married my stepdad for a while. And then my dad moved to Alabama, maybe senior year of high school. Okay. Because he got remarried. And she and his current wife moved, uh, owned some land out there. So they moved out there, and he built a house and all that. Okay, I like I like the the voice of your dad. You did it like <laughs> does he does he have like a thick Alabama accent like that? He really, I don't think it's I think it's you know it's just normal. It's just yeah, part of the system. Yeah, that kind of accent. But you but see, but you don't have it. You don't naturally have like an accent. Uh, oh well, I have redneck Tourette's, of course, but. <laughs> My mom made sure to us to compress all of that down and okay. speak with confidence and affirmation. <laughs> but yeah, it's in there. Okay, we all got it in there. Okay. <laughs> I just like I think like anytime uh, we all talk about like family members, especially mm-hmm. if somebody has like a, a distinct way of speaking, like and because that's who we're around is our family. We're very keen on picking that up and it's, it's just very funny like oh, yeah. just because like you don't have, it, have that accent <laughs> but when you go into your dad voice <laughs> which is really funny to hear it's it's, it's just really interesting is your now is your dad funny 
Yeah, he was always funny, yeah. and my mom was always funny. Okay. So I think that's probably where I got it from both sides, because they, they all had to have a good sense of humor, mm-hmm. I guess, about the whole situation, just to distract from the awkwardness, I yeah. guess. So, I mean, it could even be, my mom was probably the most optimistic person I have ever met, and just be able to flip everything to a bright side. I, I mean, almost to a fault, I would say. Yeah. I was like, no, no, mom, people are dying. She's like, yeah, but that frees it up for everyone else. Yeah. Like, all right, all right. <laughs> she can see the good side of everything. Yeah, yeah. She wouldn't say that, but yeah. <laughs> so her optimism is something I try to incorporate in my comedy as well. So mm-hmm. I, I talk about a lot, of, a lot of negative aspects of the world, mm-hmm. but you flip it. Like you're saying, you know, comedy is all about releasing tension. So right. there's a lot of tension in this negativity. You can flip it with jokes, yeah. and it gives people kind of an area to breathe in that comfortably. Right. So it sounds like you've always kind of been the the peacemaker, mm-hmm. reconciler, you know, trying to make everybody happy. Um, has there ever been, you know, and I, and I know there's got to be a moment because for all performers in the <laughs> arts, like when you're extremely, like, disappointed, things aren't going well. You know what I mean? Like, how do you... I guess how do you make your either make yourself laugh to release that tension, or do you rely back on your family? Like when you're having hard times, like is that like a family dynamic that like if things aren't going well for Joel, does mom come or dad come in with a with a joke to kind of you know what I mean to kind <laughs> yeah. of like make you feel better? Yeah, um, there is that influence as well. Like if something is bad happening, you know you always have you know your parents as an outlet. Mm-hmm. to get wisdom because there's something you know older people have sometimes you roll your eyes at what they say but it's based on you know experience which I'm I'm learning is you know I'm living that you can't replace that right so I may be upset about oh I bombed in an open mic on a Tuesday and they're like <laughs> yeah but there's people getting bombed physically right now yeah <laughs> you bombed with jokes you know people are getting physically bombed right now so yeah just keep in perspective but that's the family side uh, when you're failing on stage, you know, it's more survival mode. There's no one to, you can't call some on the front row and be like, hey, could you help me out here? You know, No, they're not going to answer. They're texting. Yeah. Checking on their 12 Twitter followers. <laughs> but I mean, early on in my career, I would use anger to, um, <laughs> to combat their apathy. Yeah. I remember at Uptown Comedy Corner here in Atlanta, there was one night they turned the lights off on me. Um, oh no! <laughs> not even a boo. Like when, like usually the audience boos. Okay, that's fine. You just boo them back. Yeah. But when it's the establishment <laughs> booing you by turning the lights off. Yeah. I mean, I I don't want to. You know, I may have came off a little racist by saying, "Oh, okay, a black establishment not playing their light bill." Yeah. Um, <laughs> from there, yeah. It's just downhill. It's all downhill. <laughs> And to this day, I still believe I was not bombing. Yeah. They just weren't laughing. Okay. They were politely listening. <laughs> I love that we all have to have a, a little bit of a, <laughs> I always think of it as like delusional thinking mm-hmm. to continue doing this. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, like, no, they're not, I'm not bombing. They're just <laughs> not laughing. <laughs> It's like that rationalization. Oh, yeah. Of... <laughs> I still believe it to this day. No, I wasn't bombing. Okay. 
<laughs> I love that. Or they get, or we get angry at the crowd. Like, oh no, the crowd sucks tonight. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like the crowd. no, I think it was me. <laughs> no, it, it, it's not my terrible comedy writing. It's this audience that came out to laugh specifically. Yeah, and I just didn't do it. It's their fault. So how, is that pretty much how you push through the bombing that we all go through? Mm-hmm. It just, <laughs> just kind of turn it into something else. Like, you know. Is it like just a level of denial when you're bombing? Oh, man. I would rub the wall. Yeah, I remember you used to do that. If it wasn't going well, I would just turn around and start rubbing the wall and like spanking the wall and be like, oh, you work out and all this. I would just try to weird people out. Yeah. And I still try to do that. Um, But (laughs) maybe a little more um, inspiration. Yeah. You know? I do do enjoy when, uh, when I see you on stage, if it's... If the joke isn't working, then it then you go from speaking to the audience to almost like you're talking to like an imaginary friend that we can't see. And it's so and for some reason, like I, I almost want you to do an entire set of just that. Just like like almost like we're peeking at this guy who's slowly <laughs> going mad. <laughs> He's talking to someone who's not there. Because oh, yeah. it's just really like you said, when you start smacking the wall mm-hmm. and you're like, ooh, someone's working out. It's like, who's he talking to? <laughs> For some reason I find that to be really funny. Oh yes. I'll sometimes uh, at, at my show I do at a Java Monkey Indicator on a Wednesdays at eight thirty. Um a lot of times what I'll do there is I work out a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. just do weird characters and things. And if it's not getting a laugh, but I can tell they're interested, I'll just be like, yeah, you know, this show is kind of like going to the zoo. And I'm like the panda bear you guys are just watching, you know, yeah. <laughs> play around with the ball they put out there. You know, not yeah. really doing much of anything, but just being like, wow, he's not funny, but interesting. <laughs> you know, which I always heard, you know, I can't remember which comedian said it, but if you can't be funny, you know, be interesting. Be interesting, yep. Yeah. And then the funny will develop out of that eventually. Yeah. Well, I like the thing I think you're doing with the podcast and trying to bring uh, more uh, eyes and ears really to Atlanta comedy. It's like something that you've sounds like you've always done as a kid. Like you've mm-hmm. always kind of been the, the, the person who's trying to make everybody happy. And uh, I kind of see it, you know, with your what you're doing right now with uh, trying to bring more attention to the Atlanta comedy scene. What is what do you ultimately want to do? In the end, like when you, I guess, think about, you know, man, I've made it when, like, mm. is it, is it just purely stand up or is, is it something else? Is it TV? Is it movies? Is it radio? You know, is there, what do you, what do you, what is your, your, uh, your, I guess your definition of success in this business? Uh, really doing this is okay. a success for me. I got to be honest, just being on here is a, a great success. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Overall, I want to do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to not only be in movies and, you know, I mean, write a book, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, do radio, but do it all on my terms. Right. You know, that's the whole point of, like, trying to bring the focus to Atlanta comedy is that you don't have to, you know, move to be like, oh, I'm, I got to go out to L.A. so I can write a sitcom. You can right. write it. In Atlanta. Right. You know, there's plenty of inspiration here. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that's why people are, you know, one of the reasons people are filming here. And uh, LeVar Walker, one of the guests on my, my podcast, uh, Hot Breath Podcast, he's, he's been on tour with Kevin Hart. He's been on the Shaq All-Star tour. He's, um, he's in the middle of, um, he's, he wrote a pilot for a sitcom about himself here. Mm-hmm. And they flew him out to L.A. to, like, run the rounds, pitching it and everything. But he talked about, you know, having to fly out to L.A. 
for productions that are filming in Atlanta. Right. And he's been able to get all this success without ever leaving Atlanta. And interviewing him, I was, and he's not the only one been able to get that success from Atlanta. Uh, Clayton English won last comic standing straight out of Atlanta, you know. And I think that with how technology is and how Mm -hmm. interconnected everybody is now, the old system of having to move somewhere else to get exposure Mm -hmm. is, it's broken. Right. You know, we need to really look at the tools we have available and just create your own success. Right. I've always thought of uh, Pat Oswalt <clears throat> always said he loves doing stand-up, and when he gets to do TV and movies, those things just fuel his stand-up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, do- he did the voice of Ratatouille. So then he, after that, he made enough money where <laughs> now he can, you know, he can go out and do stand-up for the next six months. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of, you know, Ratatouille bought his house, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, so, like, but his, you know, his goal is to be a stand-up, and all the other things are kind of like our day jobs. Everybody kind of has a day job, no matter if you're if you're full-time in the business, you know, in this business. Your day is spent, you know, you don't get up at noon every day. Your day is still spent doing something, whether it's writing, mm-hmm. uh, various projects. You may be acting in something. You may be producing something. Um so you always kind of have a day job that fuels or supports or pr- pretty much produces your stand-up and lets you go out and do what you want to do. So is that that sounds like c- kind of what you want to do? You want to be able to do it all, uh, but you but stand-up is kind of your your ultimate outlet. Oh yes, yeah. stand-up stand-up forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I as soon as I did it, I knew this was what I want to do. But the good thing about, you know, creative work is that it all informs each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I make flyers for my show on Photoshop. I can see parallels between how I develop a flyer and how I develop a joke, you know, and a lot of what I started to notice with that is I teach a comedy class and I noticed talking to people, complete novice of comedy, a Mm -hmm. lot of them. Some people just retired, you know, wanting to try something new they always wanted to do. And just seeing them bring in their experiences for maybe working in a cubicle for 30 years, but just seeing how they can even find parallels between how they would develop a report or something right. and how they now develop a joke. So it's, it's, that's the great part about living a creative life is there's inspiration everywhere. Yeah. And it all makes each other segment stronger. Yeah. You're, you're pretty inspiring to me because you, you actually work hard at this. Um, which it doesn't seem, sometimes it seems like a, a lot of, you know, a lot of our, our fellow performers are just kind of like, ah, I just do this. It's more of a social thing for them. Mm-hmm. But you actually kind of have a bit of a plan. You're actually, you know, teaching classes. You do pod- podcasts. You're mm-hmm. producing things. Um, and that, that's actually really inspiring to me because, like I said, our age difference, I'm 43, you're 20, 26, 27. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm always like, man, like anytime I'm like, Nah, I'm not gonna go out and do a show tonight. And then I kind of like look at your Instagram feed, and I'm like, <laughs> "Man, Joel's out there working, man." <laughs> so that that mo- motivates me to like get up and go go yeah. hit a mic or something like that. So I gotta say, you you you're you're a really uh, big inspiration to me. And, and like you said, you're you're saying before how you know you look up to you know you should listen to your elders. But I'm yeah. like I'm like you're you're younger than me, man. So I'm like wow. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be more like Joel. <laughs> wow, man. Nobody's successful on accident. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, one of the people I interviewed, Rodman, who won Last Comic this year, uh, last year, and is now developing an NBC sitcom based on his life, 
is, you know, he's been doing comedy 20 years, mm -hmm. and he didn't get recognition until he won Last Comic Standing last year. Right. But he's been working this whole time, doing various, you know, he had a Comedy Central half hour. Most people still haven't heard of him yeah. you know, over his career. And he talked about on my podcast that anybody who's had a successful career in comedy has had it by being consistently funny. Mm -hmm. There's no way around, oh, he looks cool. He'll be funny. You know, I mean, you got to be funny at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. And it requires work. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of work. Which, But I think it's like our job, we make it look easy. Mm -hmm. You know, like you get up on stage and you make it look like, oh, I'm just coming up with this off the top right. of my head. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't realize I wrote this two years ago. <laughs> And I've and I've been practicing it. Yeah. And then when I get on stage, I pretend like, oh, here's something I just thought of, <laughs> you know. And then and then I think people see that and they go, well, if he's just up there, just stuff coming off the top of his head, I can do that. It's yeah. like, no, you you don't know the tens of fifty composition books filled um, with failed jokes. Yes. <laughs> Hours written. of rubbing the wall in front of twelve people in a coffee shop. Oh yeah. All the, yeah. bad, the bad gigs that you've been to, <laughs> all oh the times you bombed, yes. had the lights turned off on you. <laughs> it's, it's all part of it. I mean, any comedian you talk to is going to have these stories. Yeah. That's why comedians are the most interesting people on the planet. It's because yeah. we do, we're like, I want to go to that bar and talk to 15 people while they're watching, you know, Monday Night Football. Exactly. And, and they, like, they didn't come here to talk to me. <laughs> no. But you're like, you know what? I can get them though. Yeah, you know I can get them. <laughs> There's that delusion again. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. I mean, I I drove down to Tallahassee to um, perform at an oyster bar known for its hamburgers. Okay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Ma netting negative fifty dollars, might I add. <laughs> but it was a great experience. Yeah. You know, and it's just comedians all have these stories. Yeah. All right. So we, we've talked about you know. All the bombing. Mm -hmm. Give me. Was there was there a night like where it all clicked? Like the show that really that always stands out in your mind. And it's one of those things that, like for me, a good show can carry me oh. for months. Oh man, I, for months. I just featured at Uptown Comedy Corner, the place that turned the lights off on me a few years ago. <laughs> I just featured there probably three weeks ago now, and I'm still riding the wave from that high of performing like seven sold-out shows over a weekend in front of, you know, like 350 people. Yeah. Um, the very first show that sticks out to me um, where I was like, oh, man, I've got this figured out, <laughs> idiot. Um, uh, I did a show at uh, the Funny Farm, mm -hmm. and um, Alpharetta used to be inside a go-kart track um, for anybody. Yeah. But it was an open mic, and I, I had a bunch of I had a mustache at the time, and I had a bunch of jokes about a mustache. And it was just all whack, and <laughs> but it killed. Like every line got a laugh, and I remember getting off stage. My friends were there, and I was like, "Yeah, I feel like Superman." And that was the first time I'd ever been on stage and been like, "Oh, I've got this figured out." Yeah, you know. And then the next show, you go out and bomb, doing the exact same jokes. But that was you. What I've noticed with doing stand up is. You have most of it's just terrible and depressing, but you have these shows that keep you optimistic and keep carrying you forward. Like you go through a slump and then have a killer show. Like mm -hmm. uh, I did a I did a show. The biggest show I've ever done was at a church in front of like eighteen hundred people, and I mean that many people laughing at once at every breath you're taking 
I mean, that's I, I get goosebumps thinking about that now, and that was like two years ago. Yeah, that's yeah. Those are those things will carry you through the through the dark nights. <laughs> you, know, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me uh, about you finished up the first season of your podcast. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do with the second season? The second season, I want to keep highlighting Atlanta talent. Mm-hmm. Um, the first season focused on Atlanta Comics on the 2015 season of Last Comic Standing. Mm-hmm. So I, I got all them compartmentalized. So now I want to start highlighting Atlanta talent that maybe started here, and then some people are up in New York now, some people are in L.A., mm-hmm. um, South Africa. You know what I mean? There's Atlanta yeah. comedy all around the globe right now. So the whole point is just to keep highlighting Atlanta comedy. But I want to interview everybody from Atlanta comedy. I'm talking, you know, open micers up to, you know, like Jeff Foxworthy. Right. So, because I, I mean, people don't understand like the history of Atlanta comedy. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of people. Chris Tucker. Chris uh, Tucker? Yeah, all the, all the uh, blue collar guys. I think Ron White, he's here. He, in he lives here. I don't know if he's from here, but, um, and what you can hear on the first season is like uh, Drew Thomas is another comedian who now uh, has his own club in Vegas. He actually decided to move to Vegas instead of L.A. Really? I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, okay. yeah. And he has his own club now. But he talks about it on the podcast going, seeing Atlanta going from him hosting the only open mic in the city yep. to now, you know, it's three open mics a night. And now he has his own club out there. Yeah. And what I think people can gravitate towards with the podcast is... You don't have to be a comedian to enjoy it. You know, a lot of times, you know, you say people see the comedian on stage and like, oh, they make it look so easy. But it's really a behind the scenes because mm-hmm. I am an Atlanta comedian. So these people are comfortable giving me a little more inside insight into how they got to where they are, you mm-hmm. know, because it varies everywhere from Rodman, who's been doing it 20 years and now finally getting his break. Right. To, um, you know, like a Rob Hayes or Caleb Sinan, who's been doing comedy a few years and getting their first television debut. You know, um, Caleb, I interviewed him right before he moved out to L.A., and he talks about the battle of being a preacher's kid and his family believing L.A. is where the devil lives. Yeah. And him battling with the decision to actually move out there. You know, and uh, Mia Jackson quit her corporate job Mm -hmm. to follow her dream of comedy. Like, it's not just about, you know, we do go in the creative process, but it's about the human process of, you know, following your heart. Yeah, and seeing it pay off. Right, and work and working hard, working towards a goal. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, what what would your advice be for uh, up and com- coming comedians, especially those starting here in Atlanta? Because there mm-hmm. seems like every year there's a whole new. It's almost like a new class of of comedians starting. You know, yeah, so everybody's definitely. starting. What what would your advice now, five years in, and after you've spoken with so many comedians mm. here, what what would your advice be? Just get on stage. Mm-hmm. That is that is where you learn everything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when I started teaching a comedy class, I felt kind of like a hack. Like being, I used to be like, oh, somebody teaching a comedy class, good for them. But I do it from the approach of like, okay, I mean, you're going to have to perform right. while you take this class. A lot of people, I've had people drop out because they're like, oh, I don't want to perform. But if anything, you perform, we perform in class and give each other constructive feedback on the set, even mm-hmm. if you don't want to come out and perform on like my show. Mm-hmm. But... What I've always heard in interviews from comedians is you have to get on stage. That's where comedy is a language, and you only learn it by using that language. And the only way to use that language is being in front of a room of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like practicing you know, guitar in your room. You've got to be in front of an audience. Right. So, I mean, at the bottom line is get on stage. Yeah. 
I what about al- you? I would always say uh, my advice is don't be afraid to change. Mm. Because I think a lot of us, but you start out and usually have, I always feel like a lot of us kind of start out with a certain comedian in our head. And you can always see, uh, like at the open mics, like <laughs> someone gets up there and they're saying jokes and you're like, he's been watching a lot of Dave Chappelle. Right. I, I can hear mm-hmm. that cadence or timing or in his material or, or, you know, you watch him like, this guy's been watching a lot of Bill Burr. <laughs> and that's who's in their head. Yeah. Um, and so I think like sometimes people start out. I mean, I did the same thing. I, I can't remember who was in my head. It was probably like a melange of people. But then when they, that, that, and they always say it like finding your own voice. And it's so nebulous and you really don't know what that means at first. <laughs> but it's really, to me, it's once you stop having all of those other voices in your head, you know, you're not emulating or trying to copy a style. And you, it's now it's just you, the way you tell jokes, the way you tell a story, the way you, uh, present yourself just like with your friends and family, like Mm -hmm. how you are uh, amongst people that you're most comfortable with. That to me is finding your own voice. So like, don't be married to one thing and then be afraid to change. And it's going to change your material too. Um, You know, there's, there's jokes I wrote, gosh, seven years ago when I was single and they were good (laughs) jokes and they were all, you know, all about dating but I'm, I'm married now, so I can't right. get up there now and be like, yeah, I was dating my girlfriend. And mm-hmm. people are like, don't you have a ring on your finger? You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so that material, I, I was like, well, I guess that's gone. And at first, it used to give me a lot of anxiety because I was like, no, that's a good joke. I don't want to get rid of that. But I'm like, it really no longer applies to me. Mm-hmm. So I can't really get up there and sell that anymore. So I have to like let just let it go and, and trust that you've got this well that you can go back to. I'm like, I know I know how to write jokes. I know I can come up with something that's funny. So I can let that go and come up with something new. Now, that's a, pl- that's a snapshot of where I am today. Because yeah. that, stuff, that stuff was a snapshot of where I was seven years ago. So, yeah, don't be afraid to change. Yeah, that's yeah. how I feel doing mustache jokes and all that. You know, like I would never do that now. <laughs> I just but, remembered that you had a mustache. I forgot all yeah. about that. I but it's just following. That. Yeah, I mean, it, and what you're saying does take time. For all the new comics out there, I mean... It you know it's an evolutionary process. Mm-hmm. You know, it just comes with staying committed to it. Yeah. But like you're saying, keep keep challenging yourself. Take risks. Yeah, absolutely. Have fun. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Oh, thank you, Chris Gray. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you have it. That got a bit more personal than anticipated, but now we can move forward with a new perspective on hot bread. <gasps> If you want to learn more, you can check out my website, joelbyerscomedy.com, as well as social media at joelbyerscomedy and at hotbreathpod. Please share an iTunes review, as our weekly goal will now be to get 57 reviews. Ooh. But thank you for your time, and thank you to Chris Gray and NPR StoryCorps for your time. Now the time has come to plug back into the real world. But I will see you next Monday right here on Hot Breath.